Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Wednesday, September 29th, 2021. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, Amazon's Astro Robot apparently has a nasty tendency of throwing itself down the stairs. Netflix acquires its first game studio. The interesting company that acquired Genius and now Imgur, explaining Facebook's interest in the tween audience. And Angelus wants to offer founders startup foundation as a service. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Let's talk about Amazon's Astro, shall we? That robot that Amazon announced at the event yesterday. Much like Apple is rumored to be planning on a high-end, expensive pair of AR glasses as their first foray into the market so that they can learn what the product is actually good for before going mass market, Amazon clearly hopes we'll look back one day at Astro and see it as the historic first foray into a new consumer product category. But also they're looking to learn, perhaps as evidenced by the rough edges around this product. Vice's motherboard outlet was reporting on internal documents that detail Astro's use of facial recognition and sentry mode. Sources who worked on Astro say it is a, quote, privacy nightmare, among other issues, quoting motherboard. In its announcement video, Amazon says Astro is designed to give peace of mind to its owners. First and foremost, Astro is a surveillance device that tracks you and everyone who enters your home. When a user purchases the $999 robot, customers are asked to enroll their face and voice, as well as the faces and voices of anyone who is likely to be in a home, so Astro can learn who is supposed to be there. One of the internal documentation files presented in a development meeting and obtained by Motherboard describes how Astro patrols an owner's home and tries to identify people it encounters. Other files refer to Sentry, the components and software that control the device's security features. Sentry software includes integration with Ring cameras and Alexa Guard, Amazon's home security service. The meeting document spells out the process in a much blunter way than Amazon's cutesy marketing suggests. Quote, Vesta, that's the internal code name for Astro at Amazon, slowly and intelligently patrols the home when unfamiliar persons are around, moving from scan point to scan point, the best location and pose in any given space to look around, looking and listening for unusual activity, one of the files reads. Vesta moves to a predetermined scan point and pose to scan any given room, looking past and over obstacles in its way. Vesta completes one complete patrol when it completes scanning all the scan points on the floor plan, end quote. If the robot detects what it thinks is something out of the ordinary, such as seeing a person it doesn't recognize, or a sound like glass breaking, or a fire alarm, it will investigate further, including following an unidentified person around the house. The file reads, quote, Sentry is required to investigate any unrecognized person detected by it or audio event in certain set of conditions are met. One file reads, the weird grammar there is theirs, not mine, quote, Sentry should first try to identify the person if they are not still unrecognized for as long as 30 seconds. When the person is identified as unknown or 30 seconds has passed, Sentry should start following a person until Sentry mode is turned off, end quote. But that's not the only issue with Astro, apparently, quote, Astro is terrible and will almost certainly throw itself down a flight of stairs if presented the opportunity. The person detection is unreliable at best, making the in-home security proposition laughable. A source who worked on the project said, The device feels fragile for something with an absurd cost. The mast has broken on several devices, locking itself in the extended or retracted position, and there's no way to ship it to Amazon when that happens. They're also pushing it 
as an accessibility device, but with the mass breaking and the possibility that at any given moment it'll commit suicide on a flight of stairs, it's at best absurdist nonsense and marketing, and at worst, potentially dangerous for anyone who'd actually rely on it for accessibility purposes, the source said. Another source who worked on the project mentioned privacy and navigation as chief concerns. Quote, as for my personal opinions on the device, it's a disaster that's not ready for release, they said. They break themselves and will almost certainly fall downstairs in real-world users' homes. In addition, it's also, in my opinion, a privacy nightmare that is an indictment of our society and how we trade privacy for convenience with devices like Vesta, end quote. Netflix is serious about gaming, so much so that the company has acquired its first game studio, Night School Studio, which was founded back in 2014 and is probably best known for the game Oxenfree, quoting VentureBeat. The Glendale, California-based game studio has 21 people and a history of pushing the boundaries for storytelling in games. It published Oxenfree in 2016 and has been working on Oxenfree 2 Lost Signals for the Switch. And yes, this means that Netflix is serious about moving into games, and it isn't just focusing on mobile as the company hinted in an earlier earnings call. The original Oxenfree is available across eight platforms on mobile, console, and PC. We're in the early stages of creating a great gaming experience for our members around the world, so we're excited to announce today Night School Studios is joining Netflix, said Mike Verdu, head of games at Netflix, in a blog post. Verdu noted, No in-app purchases and no ads will appear in any Netflix games, which will be available via subscription to Netflix, end quote. This fell through the cracks yesterday, but image sharing service Imager has been acquired by Media Lab, which also owns Kick, Whisper, Genius, as we told you about recently, World Star Hip Hop, and other brands. Imager says it has 300 million users, but what's really interesting to me at this point is the acquirer, Media Lab, quote, What exactly the acquisition means for the future of Imager is unclear, but it's hard to read this as positive news for the site. Media Lab isn't explicit about its business model. You won't find much information on their website. But it seems to be mainly focused on acquiring ailing brands with sizable but stagnant communities. Presumably, the goal is to bundle together traffic from these properties to sell ads or data while cutting costs by sharing the work of keeping the sites running. For example, the once-hyped genius was bought by Media Lab earlier this month for $80 million, reportedly less than what it had raised in venture capital over the years. Kick and Whisper were similarly once hot properties that have since faded from prominence. Imager's blog post announcing the acquisition reads like something close to a farewell note. Quote, It's been an absolute honor to create this corner of the internet alongside this incredible community, end quote, even though the company insists its, quote, journey is far from over, end quote. So I'm going to try to learn some more about Media Lab. It's not often that a company attempts to find success by creating a sort of conglomerate or holding company of underappreciated digital companies. By far, the exemplar of this is IAC, of course. But IAC clearly had a vision for a time when subscription services were the hotness, which has come to pass. It's unclear to me what stitching together all of these arguably failed digital assets would accomplish for Media Lab. Microsoft has opened the Windows App Store to third-party app stores. Amazon and Epic Games will be the first storefront apps in the coming months. Quoting The Verge, 
Just like any other app, third-party storefront apps will have a product detail page, which can be found via search or by browsing, so that users can easily find and install it with the same confidence as any other app in the Microsoft Store on Windows, explains Giorgio Sardo, general manager of the Microsoft Store. Today, we are sharing that Amazon and Epic Games will bring their storefront apps to the Microsoft Store over the next few months, and we look forward to welcoming other stores as well in the future, end quote. The news comes months after Microsoft announced some major changes to the Microsoft Store. Not only is the store being overhauled for Windows 11 and eventually Windows 10, but Microsoft will also let developers keep 100% of the revenue from apps if they use alternative payment platforms. The only exception is that this doesn't apply to games. While Steam, for example, isn't on the list yet, it could still arrive in the future. Microsoft's commitment to being an, quote, open store for an open platform will now allow for any third-party storefront apps to be listed in the Microsoft Store on Windows. That doesn't mean separate apps and games from rival stores will be discoverable and installable, but the storefront apps will be listed in search results. The only difference here is with Microsoft's partnership with Amazon. Microsoft is bringing Android apps to Windows 11, and that includes the ability to discover and search the Amazon App Store directly from within the Microsoft Store. A preview of this integration will be available for Windows Insider soon." End quote. Recently, the world learned the power of artificial intelligence, a technology cybersecurity leaders have been leveraging for years. Now, as AI expands and evolves, those same security leaders are left wondering where humans fit into the next generation of AI-empowered security tools and solutions. Arctic Wolf, the industry leader in managed security operations, seeks to answer this question in their newly published report, The Human-AI Partnership. Access the insights of over 800 cybersecurity decision makers in North America and the United Kingdom to better understand how organizations are weighing the benefits and risks of deploying AI tools. Uncover the biggest obstacles to turning AI and human engineers into a formidable team. Discover why the near-term benefits of large language models are being upended by a crucial flaw in the technology. And learn what the rise of AI tools mean for human practitioners moving forward. Get your copy today at arcticwolf.com slash techmeme. That's arcticwolf.com slash techmeme. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop laptop that's had its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride. More internal Facebook documents from the Wall Street Journal. According to the docs, Facebook was, quote, exploring playdates 
as a growth lever, including engaging tweens as they hang out together. Remember, this is all about the fact that Facebook wanted more growth and they saw tweens as the most fertile ground to go after. And this was about competition as well. Since Facebook is testifying before Congress about this issue tomorrow, I thought it was worth understanding why this was the route that they thought was important to go down. Quote, Internal Facebook documents reviewed by the Wall Street Journal show the company formed a team to study preteens, set a three-year goal to create more products for them, and commissioned strategy papers about the long-term business opportunities presented by these potential users. In one presentation, it contemplated whether there might be a way to engage children during playdates. Quote, why do we care about tweens, said one document from 2020? They are a valuable but untapped audience, end quote. Facebook isn't the only technology company to court children and face scrutiny for doing so, Virtually every major social media platform, including ByteDance's TikTok and YouTube, has confronted legal or regulatory problems related to how children use its products. Federal privacy law forbids data collection on children under 13, and lawmakers have criticized tech companies for not doing more to protect kids online from predators and harmful content. The Facebook documents show that the competition from rivals, in particular Snap Incorporated Snapchat and TikTok, is a motivating factor behind Facebook's work. Over the past five years, Facebook has made what it called big bets on designing products that would appeal to preteens across its services, according to a document from earlier this year. In more than a dozen studies over that period, the documents show Facebook has tried to understand which products might resonate with children and tweens, ages 10 through 12, how those young people view competitors' apps, and what concerns their parents. Quote, With the ubiquity of tablets and phones, kids are getting on the internet as young as six years old. We can't ignore this, and we have a responsibility to figure it out, said a 2018 document labeled Confidential. Quote, imagine a Facebook experience designed for youth, end quote. Quote, global teen penetration on Facebook is low and acquisition appears to be slowing down, a March 2021 document states. In the U.S., the daily number of teens using Facebook has fallen by 19% over the past two years, another document noted, and would likely fall by an additional 45% by 2023. A Pew Research Center survey from 2020 found that among 9- to 11-year-olds, 30% said they used TikTok, 22% said they used Snapchat, 11% said they used Instagram, and 6% Facebook. A Facebook team studying preteens set a three-year goal to figure out how to provide young people with social media products built just for them. They noted that figuring out how to reach them would be just half the challenge. Convincing their parents that the products are safe would be the other half. The team focused on the benefits, mostly around connecting more easily with friends and family, that they believed social media could bring to the younger generation. Quote, We have a historic opportunity for youth to experience the same positive benefits we have through social media and more. One of the members of the youth team wrote in a document, Facebook also created a $1 million research fund to study tech's long-term impact on children. A Facebook spokesman said the company recently announced it was supporting the creation of a digital wellness lab at Boston Children's Hospital. Social media's uncomfortable relationship with children was on display at a Facebook event in June when star Instagram influencer Jojo Siwa blurted out during a question-and-answer session that she had been active on the platform for almost a decade. Ms. Siwa is 18 years old. Quote, I don't want to hear it, replied Mr. Mosseri, Instagram's head, who was conducting the online event. Ms. Siwa said she had fans and followers under age 13 and wanted to be able to make content for them. She said young kids are drawn to the bright, quick nature of content on Instagram and that she hoped there would be a product built for them. Quote, the key thing is making sure you keep kids safe. Mr. Mosseri said, 
But like you said, you can lie about your age now, so our hope is to build a version that's designed for kids, end quote. Finally today, you know that I launched the Ride Home Fund on AngelList, because AngelList has this insane platform that just lets you turnkey launch your own fund. It's pretty miraculous what they do. They do all the paperwork, the incorporation, the organizing of LPs, calculation of returns, tax paperwork, etc. It's fundraising and management as a service. But that's inside baseball talk. What's more relevant to you probably out there listening, who are more likely to be founders yourselves, is that Angelus wants to do this same sort of turnkey thing, this same sort of just let's set it up for you thing, for founding a company. They've launched Angelist Stack, a set of tools to help founders start and run their companies, including end-to-end incorporation and banking services. So essentially, think of this as startup founding as a service, quoting TechCrunch. The new software will cover four bases, end-to-end incorporation, business banking, advisor equity grants, and cap table management. Every time you actually go to start a company, you start off with this optimism, said Angelus CEO Avlock Kohli. You have this idea, you're super confident, and you want to go do it, and then there is all this mundane stuff that you have to figure out, end quote. The idea with Angelus Stack is to take some of those mundane and arcane processes of starting a company and make it simpler said Coley, who was a repeat founder before joining AngelList. The end-to-end incorporation service will help founders figure out the paperwork of actually starting a company, from which state to incorporate in, to what kind of business classification to pursue. It will also help founders track and file 83B filings, a niche but important document for those with equity that can cost millions in back taxes if done wrong. The banking tool has two parts, deposit accounts with interest and debit cards. Both accounts make it easier for founders to automatically accept wire transfers from investors, which can then blend into AngelList's new cap table tool. The cap tool will include issuing digital shares, safes, reporting, 409As, and employee option grants. Quote, founders can raise their first safe round entirely on stack by sending a link to investors to digitally sign the safe, the company said in a statement. Once the funds arrive in the bank account, investors are automatically added to the cap table, end quote. Angelus stack has echoes of Carta, formerly named eShares. While Angelus launched with a focus on angels and venture, Carta broke out with a focus on employees and founders. Over time, both pursued scale, with Carta taking over cap table land and Angelus taking over syndicates and fund operations. As both companies mature, they are overlapping in their vision to be an end-to-end stack for venture and startups. Angelus, comparatively, is a smaller organization than Carta, with only $26.2 million in venture capital raised to date per Crunchbase. While the ability to raise capital doesn't necessarily illustrate the ability of a company to be successful, it can give the startup runway when its customers, other startups, face volatility. Both companies had layoffs amid the early innings of the COVID-19 pandemic for signals of how much has changed since. Angelus says that it has nearly doubled its staff to 95 people over the past year to keep up with its product roadmap, and Carta recently valued its own cap table management and valuation service at $7.4 billion. At launch, Angelus stack services are free, but Angelus will eventually monetize through SaaS management fees or through transaction fees on its financial tooling, end quote. No Twitter space tonight. Chris is traveling. And also, we have part two of the World Cup of Entrepreneurs in the bag for this weekend. So 
won't see you on Twitter tonight, but we'll talk to you as always tomorrow. 